Hey, listeners, welcome back to the Hitting Rock Middle podcast. I'm your host, Sally Holder. Today, we have with us Lindsay Boyd. She was the co-founder of The Laundress, a premium collection of eco-friendly laundry and home cleaning products. If you're a woman, I know that you have utilized her products in the past, So before starting the company in 2002, Lindsay, who has a background in textile studies, worked in high-end fashion with huge recognizable brands like Brooks Brothers and Chanel, just to name a few. After two years of research and development while holding down other jobs, she and her co-founder branched out and began to build the wildly successful company with a unique approach, which was selling directly to consumers in boutiques and high-end clothing stores. So she was D to C before it was cool. And fast forward to 2019 and Unilever acquired the laundress, allowing Lindsay to pursue her next project, which is heirloom quality jewelry inspired by her own grandmother's charm bracelet. The recently launched brand Rondell hit the scene around the holidays of 2020. It combines her love of design and fashion with preservation and the idea of passing down an heirloom. I have seen the jewelry in person and had a great experience of getting to try those pieces on, absolutely fell in love with it. So I knew our listeners not only needed to hear the story of her creation of her first company, but certainly what got her into the entrepreneurial experience for the second time. So I hope you guys will welcome Lindsay. So excited to have you here. Thank you so much. I'm I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you for having me. So I want to dive right in and just go ahead and talk about the laundress, which I'm sure you've talked about ad nauseum on other podcasts. But if you wouldn't mind, just give our listeners a little bit of, you know, kind of your background experience with the uh, selling process. It's not something we talked a lot about with many founders on our um, podcast. So I, I know that listeners out there or wanting to eventually sell, kind of tell us a little bit about your experience in selling to a major company like Unilever. Sure. So it was, it was a pretty incredible experience. Um, having sort of taken a a more untraditional route, um, not taking any VC money or any angel investors along the way, my partner and I were, um, held strongly on being 50, 50, um, partnership. So we continued to self-funded too. Yes. Self-funded. Exactly. We were the, you know, original, um, like I'm, I'm blanking on the name now, but we, we had original crowdfunding, like original, um, uh, we had a for-profit party, which we called the soap splash, which was really funny where we, we asked friends and family to come and support our idea and we raised a small amount of money to kind of, you know, to get started. Like, so from buying just basic supplies and and samples and things that we needed to really get our business rolling. Um, But yes, we were, it was 15 years ago. So I was in my twenties and the landscape's very different now. Um, I always feel like a dinosaur when I explain this to my, my children and just in general, when I tell the story, because I cannot believe how far we've come right over the, over the last, um, decade or so. And so the, so the process, the, 
again, untraditional route. Um, so the process was a little bit untraditional as well. Uh, we were about an early, uh, about a year earlier than we anticipated in going through the process to find a strategic buyer. It was always part of our business plan. We always imagined um, being purchased by a strategic partner. We thought it would happen earlier than than it actually did. Um, but that's, you know, as uh, delusional entrepreneurs, that's, um, it's a blessing and a curse, right? Because that's why we're successful because we're a little delusional, but um, <laughs> everybody has to have that right amount of crazy just to be exactly. An Sounds like exactly. And as far as advice goes, and my the biggest thing for us is that we were really ready to take on that process, and from all of the boxes were checked off in a sense of the the right we were the right size you know the right revenue size um, it was the right timing um, we were really one of the few there were other companies out there that um, that were in our space that had been had success and acquisitions and actually Unilever own seventh generation so seventh generation was one of the the larger grocery brands that we had looked at as oh. They should buy us, you know, and I and then turns out Unilever purchased them. So we felt like that was in alignment um, because we were, while more of a boutique brand, it was an eco uh, brand with not, with all really good ingredients. So it lined up there. Um, so I think a, a lot of the process is a, is long, and as as a founder and owner and manager <laughs> of more than 15 employees it's it does take you away from the business so you have to really have a strong team behind you in order to go through that process because there's very little time to do anything but that uh, so as as organized as you can be before heading into the process I, I recommend that because there's a lot of a lot of your time is is focused solely on that. So who ended up approaching who first? Did you guys go to Unilever? Did they come to you? They they approached us and a couple other strategics approached us shortly around the same time. So shortly thereafter. Um, and the thing is, is these companies, they know about how big you are. You know, they're if they're if they're following you, they can kind of guess, oh, it's a 15-year-old company or you know, 10, 15 years old, where they are revenue-wise. And so the timing that was, we thought we were, again, we thought it would be a year out, but it turns out they started coming to us. So then it was great. We didn't have to go on, do our dog and pony show for everyone, but everybody's journey, everyone's journey looks a little different. Everybody has a different idea. I was talking to a brand the other day and they're, they're looking to, you know, IPO. So it's a very, and, and they're on their second round of funding and, so, you know, everyone has a different path and a different idea. We stayed true to our business plan that we developed in 2002. So that was something that, you know, we always, we look back at it probably not as often as we should, but every five years we would update it and edit it and it looked the same. It continued to stay the same, the same goal. And we just kept working towards that. 
I think that is critically important. You know, I was having this conversation this morning with someone who is um, actually an investor himself. And we were talking about the need for entrepreneurs to truly focus. And it is really hard to do. um, And, you know, you have all these voices out there with friends and family and say, oh, you should do this and you could do that. And if you've done this, then you could do that. And and after a while, it just begins to water down your messaging. It waters down the effectiveness of your overall brand. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it divides your time. And that's your most precious resource after all. So I love hearing, though, that that's one of the strategies that you really held true to is the idea that, no, we stayed super focused on exactly the mission that we created when we founded the company. And we followed that all the way to the end. And um, I, I do think that that's quite rare these days. Um, certainly in many of the entrepreneurs that I come in contact with, they're wanting to do pivot after pivot after pivot. And um, while that can be a, a very effective strategy, uh, sometimes the best strategy is just to stay focused on your original idea and build the business around it. Yes. I We tell everybody or I tell everyone and anyone that asks me about that wants to start a business what you know how to get started and really writing your ideas down and which is a business plan in a traditional sense but it doesn't have to be a formalized business plan it just you have to under, you have to identify your idea identify your customer all of those basic um, you know marketing business you know building a brand 101 um, principles where you you have to ask yourself those questions, you know? And I think ideally, are you passionate about the brand and the idea? And then and then like you were saying, keep going back to that. Keep going back to that because there's going to be a lot of noise and a lot of people saying there there will be a competitor most likely that pops up and you may get disappointed or and I love competitors. I always I think it's good. That means that whatever you're doing is people want it. They've already done the research. They've already validated it. You know, like I think there's always space for an, a better brand, another brand in the same space, but better. Um, for, it just helps right. you oftentimes niche down even further and be and provide that much more clarity around yes. the customer that you serve the best to. And and the market is big most of the time, big enough for, for more than one of you. So it can oftentimes help elevate the current brand that you have because more people are talking about that space as a whole. That's true. It's true. It makes you really understand why you're unique and how you bring something different to the table. You know, I think that's... And that is really important when you're looking to sell your business. Think about what can I give to them that they can't create themselves? And that's something that... It it comes so naturally to me because I, you know, what I've created with the laundress and what I'm creating now with Rondal is like just oh, just think about you know why you started it and why it's so why you're so passionate about it, and that will ultimately um, shine. That always shines. And I know everybody wants to do 50 million things. I'm the same way. I'm always one step ahead of myself or two, three, four sometimes where my team's like, slow down, slow down, you know? And I'm like, if I slowed down, we wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't be who I am. And and that's totally normal. But I do and and especially building it for me, building a business, a new business now versus 15 years. And it's longer now, 
over 15 years ago. Um, there's so much more to, that you can do to get your message out there where there were, there was only traditional PR, like a, ma- a magazine, or you would run an ad or, you know, there were desk side appointments with publicists and there were less ways to really, and it wasn't, wasn't the world of SEO and PPC and at Facebook ads. And, and so it can get overwhelming now, but I think if you, identify what it is you're doing, what who your customer is, how the best way to reach them and really dig deep there versus, oh, I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to do this. Because you can be a, you know, do a whole lot of everything and not have any success, right? So. Oh my gosh, preach. I could not. <laughs> um, you know, so much um, time these days is spent on making brands, I think, look pretty and very little time actually focused on sales, right? Just the fundamentals. And and, and really, that's a lot of what you just said in that last sentence, which is understanding who your customer is and knowing exactly where to find them. And that's about developing your optimal sales strategy. And you have to know those things. And it doesn't matter how beautiful your brand is if no one has it um, in their hands. Or even if no one's using it as a service. And um, so I love that you're bringing it back to those fundamentals that, yeah, today it is not as sexy to focus on those, but it is absolutely required. And I love hearing people that have had wild success like you have come back to that and point people in that right direction. So I'm sure our listeners, though, are are getting the feel that you are a serial entrepreneur and um you know, exactly why you would want to start another company. But just indulge us for a moment. You had an amazing exit with Laundress. Are you crazy going back into the school <laughs> of doing this all over again? Right? Yes. Like somebody yes. would say, like, go retire, <laughs> Lindsay. Enjoy yourself. Um, but I'm thrilled to have other to have you, you know, back in in the nitty-gritty of this, just because you said as well, like the landscape has changed, things have evolved. So, A, what brought you back in? And then B, um, you know, what has you really excited about Rondell and um, you know, this this next chapter? Yeah, I mean, I definitely over the last couple of years said to myself, "What am I doing?" You know, <laughs> yeah. but you know, uh, and then my husband says, "Well, you're doing what you would always do, so keep doing it." You know, <laughs> so um, yeah, for me, I so my whole journey, my professional career, and even my um, education in college all related around fashion, so fashion and design. Um, I love art. I, I paint, I do, um, some drawing here and there, but I obviously, I draw all of my charms now that we, that I create. Um, so I'm really an artist and a creator and a designer, like as my passion, right? So for me being able to come full circle and create something, taking everything that I learned from the laundress and, from obviously, you know, the, the obvious pieces of just learning how to grow and build a business, but more importantly, continuing to be able to be who I am and continue to keep those principles core and true to who I am in the sense of my 
understanding of preserving things in your home, which goes back to the laundress, but also keeping things around and sustainability. And um, truly, I've always been sustainable prior to even it being like a real movement. Starting Rondel was critical for me to come basically coming full circle, coming back to fashion, which is truly my love of, you know, and passion and being able to use all of the things that I learned at the laundress, building that brand, and then um, keeping all of the key things that who, that represent who I am. So from sustainability and we use, well, not just sustainability, but also being able to keep things in your life um, for a long time. And so for me, um, working at Chanel, I had, I learned so much about the craftsmanship and, and the work that goes into a piece and the quality that quality really is, you know, the price and quality match a lot of times, you know, and when I was very young, you know, seeing a price point of a Chanel jacket, you know, would give me a heart attack. So, but I fortunately got 90% off. So it was free, essentially. (laughs) So in my 20s, oh my gosh, I wish. I so wish, but that no longer even, I don't even think that exists anymore. Um, But we, you know, wearing Chanel in my 20s and having that understanding and watching how these things are made and understanding the fabric content and I mean, I remember going to one of the factories and I did ready to wear and clothing, not, not so much accessories, but we, we visited one of the manuf- the factories where they made all of the handbags and watching the woman, one individual woman weaving the leather through the chain, through the chain link handle um, strap that everyone that we all know that's, you know, quintessential Chanel. And then the next woman, actually fix affixing it onto the bag and then the next woman quilting the bag i'm like okay now i understand why it costs this much you know and that was that was really eye opening to me as like a very you know just out of college like i really didn't have any yes i i i know how to sew and i do design and i love fashion but i didn't really have an understanding or an appreciation for for these things. And so I think a lot of that shaped who I am and 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 how I behave when I purchase things, you know, even from we can talk about even cleaning products for instance. I want to have a brush that I can wash in the dishwasher and keep using, you know, versus a sponge where I most likely will throw out sooner. So very simple things that I that I would do in my life that were I know we went from fashion to cleaning, but it all really just became who part of who I am. And that and for Rondel, I want to give customers the same experience that I that I did through laundry in the sense of being able to give them a product that they can keep forever and that's good quality, they can wear all the time. Um, and it's made of 100% recycled gold. Um, and also everything's made by hand. So it's quite a process. It's similar to the handbag, Chanel handbag process. (laughs) There's about five to six different hands that touch the the gold before it gets to our client. And that's because it's engraved. It's finished by somebody who, who's different from someone that shapes it. And then there's somebody that does the 
CAD file alongside me with the design and, and, but I love it because it's truly an art. Um, so I know that was a long winded explanation for why I'm here with Ronzel, but I no, think I it's the, <laughs> so the, you know, just being really passionate about what I do and, and I've always loved jewelry and I love hearing my clients' stories. Um, we create a lot of custom chain, uh, a lot of custom charms for people. And they'll say, Oh, I just got back from Italy and I want something to remember my Italy trip or, you know, and this isn't anything groundbreaking because charms have been around for hundreds and hundreds of years. But for me, I wanted to create something that was more wearable and more modern and create new heirloom pieces. So not somebody else's vintage charm, which is fabulous that you can get in a vintage shop. And you can add it to your Rondel charm necklace um, by creating your own vintage piece, basically. Uh, what so. a cool concept. <laughs> I think the story that you just shared will help our listeners so much. And I, I hear so many incredible business tips in that story as well about you know, the fact that, and I hope it's okay I'm saying this, but like you know yourself really well. And mm-hmm. it is a really important characteristic, I think, of a strong entrepreneur. And so when you know yourself well, again, you tend to seek less external validation of your internal ideas. And um, it sounds to me like you continued your your internal philosophies and that because you know yourself really well, you were able to continue mm-hmm. to move to the next like evolution of exactly who you are. And I think that when we're always trying to seek the external validation, we're always looking for, um, you know, what we hear a lot of other brands say is like, well, you know, the customer was just asking for that, or that's what I thought could sell, or, you know, that's what I thought fit the market. And, you know, I really tend to shy away from that and and encourage people to, you know, steer clear of that because A, they're going to get bored with it. They're never going to remember why they developed that aspect of their business, that revenue stream or whatever. And it's really hard to pay attention to that, um, that avenue after a while when, you know, you got tired of it and, and you never cared about it in the first place. And so I just... I hear so many incredible tips throughout that that story and and it's what's given you this beautiful evolution into the next, you know, the next 15-year journey. Are you running your business like a marathon at sprint speed but never getting anywhere? Take back control of your business with the Brim's Revenue Accelerator program and let expert business coach Sally Holder run alongside you each step of the way. Our new program provides you the tools, strategies, and support you need to increase your revenue and create impactful growth. To get started earning more in considerably less time, follow us on Instagram at The Brim. That's T-H-E underscore B-R-I-M-M. And direct message us revenue to find out if this is the right fit for you and your business. So... Where do you see Rondel? Because I truly apologize. I've been saying it wrong. Where- no, that's okay. We, it's like Ralph Lauren, Ralph Lauren. It doesn't bother okay. me. <laughs> okay, good, good. So um, 
then where yeah. do you see Rondell going over the course then of the next say 10 years? I mean, if you, if we were to drop you into that space, I mean, maybe it's not 10 years, maybe it's five years from now. Um, and we were having the same conversation and now we're saying, Lindsay, I'm so excited about where Rondell is now. Where would the company be then? I'm so interested in about how you see this one evolving with you. Sure. So I think in in five years. So we're we're approaching our second. Well, we'll be finishing our second year in December. And truly, you know, going back to what you were saying about the customer and and having having that be, I believe there's you have to make really good. You have to make the best product, right? Or the you have to do the best service. Whatever it is that you're doing, it has to be the best. That's number one. And number two is you've got to. It's all about the client. You have to interface with the client. So, and that's where it becomes tricky with social media, right? Because you're not inter- you're interfacing with the client in a very different way. Mm-hmm. So, I we've been doing a lot of in in person events, a lot of um, Zoom appointments with people and their husbands, and discussing pieces that they want. You know, oh, it's for an anniversary, and I and my husband wants to buy me something special, but I. He doesn't know what to get, so I want him involved with the purchase. And it's really like I get chills thinking about that. I think that's wonderful. Like if you're choosing me to help you, um, you know, create this beautiful piece for a 15 year anniversary or a special milestone, I love that. Mm-hmm. And um, and so for me personally, I love connecting with the human side of it, the client side of it. So in the in the next five years, I I would imagine doing more of that internationally as well. Um, I would have already been doing that, I'm sure, uh, you know, in areas of Asia and in Europe already, if it wasn't, if, it, if I didn't launch a brand in COVID, during COVID. But um, I, I imagine just continuing doing what we're doing in other areas of the country and other areas of the world. And um, I... I love that part of the laundress. I love that we were international. And as we were building our US business, we were also building our Asian business and our European business. And for me, I'm that's I'm very international. And I, I think that this product, I can create really beautiful things for people that are special to these different cultures all over. And I and that's really what Rondel means. It's you know, it's Rond as a circle. And to me, a circle represents connecting people. That's circular. I love circles because it's it's like family connection and um, community to me. So I, so that's where I would see myself in five years. You know, really doing. <laughs> Take me with you, right? Okay. <laughs> Ever, all of our listeners are like, okay, I'll go on that adventure. Exactly. Um, <clears throat> no, I do really like that you're bringing up the fact that you know we're not limited to our borders. We might have been over the course of the last three years, but, um, you know, when you're doing it in, let's say an Asian market, one that I'm far less familiar with than the European, um, Mm -hmm. when you're in that Asian market and are you doing the same or are you doing a D to C, um, you know, customer interaction, um, like at a, a, a an event venue, or is it within a boutique, or you know, mm-hmm. how does that relationship expansion really come to be? Yeah, and it's it's that's a good question, and and every market looks very different, right? It's very it's 
so different in the fact where it's not like you take all of the United... The US is very similar, right? In the sense of the distribution channels look the same. While there may... The stores aren't the same in each state, but it's still like the plan is the same. Whereas if I'm looking in Asia, there's going to be certain things that are that are uniquely different to launching in Seoul, Korea or Tokyo, Japan, you know, that kind of, there will be little things that are different, but things that are similar, like something that I learned from the Asian market, because we had such a strong business there is that, um, that retail experience is critical. Um, the, the merchandising and the, the way the design level of design is so high there. It's incredible. Um, so that you, just when you think you've done your build out or your store experience really well, they do it 10 times better. So (laughs) that's been my experience at that luxury level, um, which would be where Rondo would be as well. And so I think for me, it would be a you know, retail experiences and direct to consumer events. Um, so not a lot of wholesale because I am selling a pro a product that's very, it's a luxury good. And I don't want it to sit somewhere where I can't have control over. So that's, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's really pop-up experiences that, and truly that market's been doing pop-ups before we really even got on board with it. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yes, there's been. I mean, before we even, pop, you know, pop up is, is such a. I mean, most people don't even talk about like real stores anymore. You know, like oh, I have a retail store. No, it's just I'm pop. I'm here for six months. I'm you know popping up here for six months. It's kind of a roadshow versus where th- that was something that was happening. I think way earlier there. It's fascinating. So, I love being yeah. able to hear about different markets and things. Um, yeah. So. One thing that we talk a lot about um, in my coaching program, the Revenue Accelerator, is pricing. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are some major lessons that you have learned um, from pivoting from this real mass market consumer price point to this niche high-end price point? Um, you know, what lessons have you learned about how you price? Um, mm-hmm. You know, how do you approach it differently? How does price affect the product, the ultimate sale? Um, I'm so interested to hear your thoughts on that, especially when it is, you know, luxury. Um, you know, I, I do find people tend to say, "Oh, well, you know, you should price it lower so you could attract a more mass audience." And I'm like. That may not necessarily be your correct customer, which it it sounds like. Yeah, I think it's tricky. Yeah, I think you have to be very. It's funny pricing. Speaking of pricing, I used to price the entire collection for Chanel for for the U.S. market. So I actually, you hit a very like I know a lot about pricing. Well, (laughs) not very. It's not a very sexy topic, but it's a very important topic when you're starting a business. Yes. Um. So I did all of the pricing as well for the laundress and there's a, and obviously for Rondel, but there's a lot to consider. And I think what you were just, you just mentioned about, oh, I want to price something that's a little lower. So more people buy it. Well, it's a slippery slope because you really need to price the product in which the market, which the demand, you know, which 
you don't know, like for luxury, it's very different. When you're pricing luxury, there's many factors that go into place, but you really, you don't want to price yourself out of the market. And you also don't want to price yourself too low because there will be that perceived price issue of, oh, it's cheap or it's not as good or, you know, and I think that you have to be really careful there. Um, the way that I look at pricing is you're always going to have a tighter margin when you start. It's just because you're probably not able to make as much as you can afford to make, or there's not a demand for that. And you have to look at the long-term goal and really think 5, 10, 15 years from now versus right in front of you. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs do not do that. I think they're, they think of their idea, they want to get it out there. And the long-term goal kind of just goes by the wayside. Obviously, your long-term goal is to be successful, right? Or you wouldn't start, but there's not a real strategy involved in that long-term goal. So um, yeah, and I'm all, my friends and family all call me futuristic. So I'm like very futuristic in the sense of I'm always thinking about what my brand's going to look like in 20 years from now and you know how many who's going to want how many sales I'm going to have to run or where will my product be placed on a shelf that they're going to need markdown money or and again not relevant to fine jewelry but there are these things that you have to think about like the 360 of your brand before you just throw a price point at it um and again in the beginning it's painful because your margins think about working towards a better margin than trying to get it in the beginning because you're going to price yourself wrong. Like, I think that's right. I think that's really and that's just all with scalability, right? And that's just you're buying I use I can, you know, again, <laughs> very different for fine jewelry, but but even though for Rondel it is relevant because I am buying my gold up front and I am having I will be producing more of my chains, right? Maybe not a ton of the same charm because they're all very unique. But as we grow and there's more customers, my margins will get better, but my price will still be the fair price that I want my customers to have. Um, we, when pricing the Ronzo collection, I, I just, I want to give them a price that's fair on all accounts. So from the quality, the work that goes in, the, our pieces are very big. They're larger scale. There's a lot of gold. It's 18 karat gold. So if you compare it to other fine jewelry that's out there or like um, 14 karat pieces, it's way sturdier and like the scale is much bigger. So uh, yeah, the price point, it's substantial. Yes, it's substantial. Right. And yep. the price point is high. It definitely is. And I'm not, I, I'm not like shy of, you know, I, I understand like when people say, oh, it's just, it's too expensive for me. And I totally get that. But when I explain to people what goes in, what goes in and how it's different, and then there's an understanding of why it costs that amount. It's not because I'm pricing based on a brand name or I'm pricing because I think I can get away with it or whatever the, you know, it's truly priced based on what the quality of the good is. Um, but what I love yeah. about you saying about that too is, you say to them, I understand, but you're never apologetic. That That's a really big difference mm -hmm. um, that you're saying, I get that 
currently this product doesn't fit into, you know, your priorities, because let's be honest, mm-hmm. that's what they're sort of saying, but it doesn't in then impact again, external, internal, it doesn't impact your internal beliefs about whether the pricing of the brand should then therefore be adjusted. You're still mm-hmm. like, oh, I get it, but it deserves it. And I don't need mm-hmm. necessarily every single potential customer out there to believe and that it is priced appropriately. I'm going to stand firm in my understanding of, you know, exactly why it is where it is. And, um, and I love that. I mean, I think that so many, especially female entrepreneurs need to hear that. Um, Mm -hmm. And that, you know, it's okay when someone says no and you realize it has absolutely nothing to do with your actual mm-hmm. need to adjust your pricing strategy. Yeah, and it's 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 something because what I'm creating is art and it's so personal too. So it, I I understand that it's not a style just like fashion, right? I mean, it's not for everyone and that's okay. You know, and it's kind of um we have we do have other pieces in our line that we've created, um, hand carved stones that are a better price point, a more digestible price point for people to have the brand, the look, the feeling, and it still holds true to what the brand is. So it's all, they're all based out of stone. They're all made from stone and it's hand carved. Nothing is mass produced. And so the quality and the idea is still there. It's just that it's not gold. So, yeah. Oh, what a great way to, again, you know, kind of lead your customer into eventually buying the core Mm -hmm. product too. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, after all of this incredible experience um, that you've had, and I mean, I love you're just casually like, oh, by the way, I also priced the entire (laughs) collection. I'm like, what (laughs) in the (laughs) world? But I I don't know what to say to that. So I'm just going to leave that like mic drop moment for our listeners to like rewind and say, did I really just hear that? Um, So if anybody needs to be firm in their pricing, it would definitely be you. Um, (laughs) um, I love the other, I meant to say one other thing the way you approach your pricing strategy is back to the original tip that you said at the very beginning, which was we wrote down what our goals and our idea was and our destination was. And so when you understand that, I think our listeners can realize too, which is something I'm constantly pushing entrepreneurs to do is, is be more forward thinking and think more long-term Um which is hard to get them out of the here and now because I understand there are fires absolutely everywhere, but Hey, newsflash guys, like that's those fires aren't going anywhere. Um, you know, most of the time they're just always sort of going to be there and your tolerance to them gets better. But, um, but you were able to price things because you knew what the destination was. You knew you were going to scale. You knew maybe, you know, again, those margins weren't going to be great, but eventually they would be. And eventually it would it would create exactly what you want, which leads to a lot, again, more comfort and more sensibility in the time. And so I just, again, had to applaud you and bring it back to the idea that, um, you know, when you stick true to your guns and you know where you're headed, it just guides everything else, right? It's your roadmap. Um, I'm constantly telling entrepreneurs, you'd never get in the car and start driving to California and be like, I just hope I get there. 
right? (laughs) So why in the hell do we run businesses without a roadmap every single day? We're like, well, fingers crossed. Like, I hope I get where I want to go. But people do it all the time. Um, (laughs) So instead, what do you feel like, I'll stop blabbering now, but what do you feel like with all of this experience would be kind of your number one tip that you would want to give you know, an entrepreneur that right now is sort of struggling with their product-based business, because that certainly is a huge expertise of yours, and they want to get it out to the marketplace um, in front of more people, What are, what's the number one thing they should be doing right now? Uh, um, I love this question. <laughs> I Right now or just... Okay. I think... Honestly, my biggest tip is to be patient, to have patience because it gets very overwhelming. There's a lot to tackle and there's a lot to do and everything will happen. I think that's my, I'm watching my, my husband starting a business right now, his second time around as well. Um, Yes. Entrepreneurship runs deep in my family from my parents, my brother, myself, my my brother-in-law, my, <laughs> we're all, we're all a little, we're all a little crazy, um, in a good way. But I think, yeah, I, I told him, uh, we talk about this a lot. It's like people starting businesses now, like men, women, whatever they're, they're less patient, um, because of all of the resources we have at our fingertips. And I, it's great. It's brilliant that we have all of that, you know, it's wonderful, but I think that side of you want it all, you want it all. It's kind of like what you're saying, you know, um, what is the saying where you like, you, you, you are involved in a lot of little things, but you're like, you're not good at anything like Jack of all trades. Like, but no, yes. you know, that, that kind of, exactly. And that's, I, I think that's where there's difficulty now with starting a business because they're, Everybody wants now, 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 instant, instant. It just doesn't. Patience will get you and staying steadfast to who, you know, what it is you're doing. And it may be five years more than when you wanted it to happen or a couple years longer or whatever, but it's, it's worth it in the end. But Lindsay, I mean, everything just, you were so lucky and everything came easy to you. And I'm sure you didn't have patience, right? (laughs) <laughs> I just want to go ahead and burst that bubble if anybody out there is thinking that because yeah, easy I mean, for me. I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, I, it's, it's, um, yeah, no, I, I definitely not easy. Definitely not easy. So I, I think there were, there were times when around too, right. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's totally different. It's yeah. totally different. And, um, you know, the risk is different, right? It's, it's actually when you're younger, you feel like you don't really think about any, you know, you don't think about the future at all, really. Right. (laughs) You're just kind of like, here I am today. And this is what I'm going to do tonight. And like, that's kind of the attitude when you're starting a business and when you're getting, when you're a little older, whatever that means. And, you know, your priorities shift and for, for whatever reason, um, and I think, yeah, the journey's different. It's the same journey, but but you look at things differently for sure. But I I, I think the, pa- the having patience is really important. 
because you're going to like the end result is, is much better is worth it for sure. I love that. Uh, what a great <laughs> note really for us to wrap up on because it does take a tremendous amount of patience and, but in the end, right, you started this business, all of you listeners, both of us started this business because, you know, I fundamentally believe that we saw an opportunity to make things better in one way, shape or form or another. And, um, you know, the consequence of giving up and not having that patience, you know, is our inability to fulfill what our greatest potential is. And, you know, I just try to always remind both myself when I get impatient, you know, clients that in the end, um, what's at stake is the fulfillment of our greatest potential. And that is worth us having patience. It is worth us taking the time, doing the hard things, um, day in, day out. And, and I love them being able to have a real life person sitting there in front of, you know, in me, in front of me mm-hmm. at the moment, but, um, you know, telling them um, it really is all worth it. So thank you for sharing your time and your wisdom, Lindsay. Oh, I, you're welcome. You're so sweet. Thank you. Well, listen to episode for sure. Um, I certainly enjoyed every moment. Uh, so I, I truly appreciate you and um, all all the things that you shared with our listeners. Thank so. you. Thanks a lot. This was a lot of fun. I'm, I'm happy to do it. So <laughs> if our um, listeners want to get a piece um, of jewelry from Rondel, they want to check you out. I highly suggest you guys follow her on social media. And where can they find you? So we are at Rondel Jewelry on Instagram handle and then rondeljewelry.com online. So um, yeah, and you can DM us if you'd like anything custom or have any questions where we have Rondel experts ready to help you. It's probably me, but. <laughs> Even better. Who doesn't want the woman who priced the of Chanel? Exactly. <laughs> Telling them, this is how, it's, this is a piece of jewelry I'm going to make specially for you. I'm I'm on it right away. I'm like, so good. I can't wait. <laughs> All right. Thank, thank you. you. Thank listeners, you so much, for Sally. This has been another wonderful episode of the Hitting Rock Metal podcast. I hope this made your business just a little bit better. 